Okay, it's time according to my watch. So we've got the Pearly family coming up. It's been wonderful. You know, there's nothing uh, or there's very few things as rewarding for old timers to see new people getting into this. You know, that's really our passion is to try to encourage other people to get into this. So Lilia Pearly came over and spent a little time on the farm on our farm, her husband was too tied up with their farm, but we tried to pump her full of all the information we could um, in the couple days she was there. But it's, it's been fun to see them um, getting their feet wet in market gardening. So, you know, the reason we do this is because for somebody who's just starting out, you know, to think, oh man, they've been doing it for 18 years, you know, what hope do we have? But we want to try to share some, some new growers and hopefully it can be encouraging to you. Well, I'm glad to share a little bit of testimony with you all. Um, we were just kind of greenhorns at this. We didn't really know a whole lot about gardening that much, especially in Arkansas, north central Arkansas, where we went from Florida sand to lots of rocks. And that was the primary crop there, it seems like it. But um, we sure learned a lot. And so I, would, I just want to just start at the beginning here, and my wife will interject and, and take over the microphone anytime. I'll give you permission. <laughs> But uh, I just want to share just a few slides from the very beginning. It was kind of a humble beginning. If you have never homesteaded or anything, um, I, I challenge you to just get your feet wet. Like Brother John said, you, know, you don't have to know every single thing before you take that step. Just, just step out in faith and God will, will lead. And uh, you'll be surprised what some of the things that he leads you through. Trials and victories and all kinds of things. So... This is our family. Um, I'm Fred. This is Lilia. And then my boys there on the left, Matthew, he's the oldest. This was taken about 2007 when we first landed on our property. And then Reuben there, bare-shirted, and my daughter, um, Adelina, she's like two years or one year old about then. This is our humble campsite that we, we got on our property. And we started from scratch. It was just forest, raw forest area. And we, we camped out a few months there, uh, just living off the land and what we had there. I'm just going to go through these rather quick because I want to kind of get into a little bit of new things that we're doing. Lil, our faithful, our cook, our chef here, working on the hot summer there. Well, I would like to add that we did, when we moved to our 40 acres in Arkansas, we did not have any water no electricity. Our water we got like one and a half year later, and we live without electricity for three years or so. So we moved to the raw piece of land, it was all forest, and we lived in a tent, and of course, the only way we cooked food is this way, on an open fire, and it was like 103 degrees, but you know it's good because we have food. <laughs> That's the way. And don't, don't feel like we're just, you know, we're really experienced in all this and, and, and all that is. It was uh, very difficult. In fact, uh, we felt a little bit like maybe Lot and Lot's wife at times. You ever felt that way? You know, what am I doing? I, I would like to go back. 
don't be ashamed if you feel that way and feel guilty about it because it's, it's, it has gone through our heads a few times when it really gets tough, but the Lord takes care of us and really a lot of it is just getting back to work and here our daughter is showing us how uh, in the trenches there. We, we started just digging out some of the rocks and, and everything and of course all the kids are involved with it and um, that's kind of the raw piece that we started. It was all forest and so we had a guy come in and just bulldoze it down in a few hours and there we had. Then what comes up next is weeds, right? But uh, way down there near the bottom, we had a little fortress to keep the deer out. We soon learned about deer after them eating all our crops. And of course, when you have a little harvest that first season, it's always encouraging. Some of the things that we started off with, just off the land, a little bit of fencing and uh, a few things off the land like cedar and tying it together, make trellises and other, other things. Just kind of use what you have. It's not really expensive in the beginning when you're starting off, or it doesn't have to be. Some of the encouraging things there that, that they harvested are children, the blackberries and blueberries, and just getting involved as a family. That's the, the best thing that you can do. Some of the vegetables that our children grew, nothing like getting your kids involved with gardening and, and seeing their eyes and their taste buds getting aroused there off the things that they grew and enjoying. And they even learned a little bit about bugs. Our, our son is a photographer and Reuben also, he, they like going out there and taking pictures. And here's an assassin bug taking care of a cucumber beetle. And we learned a little bit about um, what happens in the winter and protection and what vegetables to grow in the cool seasons and what vegetables to grow in the, in the warm seasons. And we learned all that coming here to the conference and John and Pam here and their experience. It really helped us a lot, encouraged us. This one on the right's kind of after a storm there, kind of tore up our, our row covers there. And, and, but you see how spinach thrives quite well in just icy conditions, cold conditions. And we got the idea that, hey, we needed a greenhouse. You know, my wife, she, she really wanted to uh, start more plants, and we felt that it would be good to, to build a little something on side of our, our workshop or a warehouse, which is what we're living in, just a little 800-square-foot place there, and then the rest of it is for our tools. But off to the side, there's a kitchen in, inside that little greenhouse, and we have a little a wood cook stove that heats up the house, the 800-square-foot living quarters, we open that window in the kitchen, we put a fan there, and it just sucks the heat into the greenhouse, and that's how, how we kind of made that warm in there, and it keeps, well, we had it, what, down, it was negative, or it was about uh, five degrees this, this winter, and it stayed about 60 or so, sometimes 40, depends on how, you know, how good the fire's going in the house, but it kept the plants alive. And then, um, we, Lily, you want to talk a little bit about the grant from... Uh, we got received a grant. Uh, we, we thought about putting a high tunnel in our area down there below where we live. And we, we managed to get a hold of a, a young a, a man who would, was able to get a grant for us for a high tunnel. And so we were excited about that. A high tunnel with no heat in it, in other words, because we wanted to do some winter uh, harvesting for CSA. We thought that would be a good thing. And, NRCS, that's correct. Uh, it was a third, he was going to give us about close to 
$10,000 is what it ended up being, a grant. So we applied with it. He walked us through it. It was very easy. He asked a bunch of questions, and um, we filled out some papers, and that's what we got. And we bought ours from Deerfield Supply. Nice young man delivered it. And um, my boys and I, we devised a way to be able to put it up. We built a tower on our trailer and just kind of pulled it down the line and, and put up each truss there, screwed it all together. And it took a while, but we worked together. And uh, before we even got it finished, my wife was over there putting seeds in the ground. So we kind of had to work over her a little bit because the season was getting a little bit close to, to you know getting that stuff out before winter time because around no November, October, I think it is, right? Or no, November 10, plants just stopped growing, right? So we had to you know, back up from there and you gotta start planting before those plants kind of hibernate. And so we learned a little bit about that and she's putting some stuff in the ground and it's exciting to see this things come up and, and uh, all your cool loving vegetables are, are growing there. Your kale on the left, really, really good. Some of the onions and tatsoi on the, on the right, kind of tastes like celery a little bit, it's really good taste. We like color, I think that's important in a CSA and uh, to provide lots of color, so we learned that. And then um, we decided to take a break. We, we said, well, you know, at this point, my wife was trying to get another, uh, or was trying to do something to change and she wanted to stay at home and maybe you want to can tell about that little testimony of what happened um, okay. during that time because we're at a transition period from the winter CSA to the farmers market in the summer and there's a reason why we just kept going through uh, planting year-round go ahead I guess it's just a little story since uh, once we came back from Adagra last year I felt that the Lord wanted us to do this for a living. Well, but it was very difficult for me to give up my job because I'm a dental hygienist, so it's a really good income. I was always working part-time, so it always was dependable income. So it was a struggle in my heart to give it up because we're homeschooled, so I really needed to be home. So the more I read, the more I got convicted that God wanted me to be home. But it's very difficult to give it up you know, the steady income to pay the bills. So I prayed to the Lord, I agonized in prayer, and one day, I still did not, I could not tell my manager that I'm going to quit. So manager walked in and said, I got to talk to you today. Okay, I'll talk to you. So anyway, after work, she said, we're offering you a full-time position. I said, no, I cannot work full-time. You know, my family is number one. I mean, I said it in a nice way. And she said, okay, then we're hiring somebody else. So God answered my prayer in that way. It was very unexpected. It was kind of heartbreaking on one point, but now looking back, that's the best thing ever happened. Now, I, now we had to make really quick transition. I made a call to the Dysinger's family. They're like our mom and dad. Well, they're not, they're not old, but you know, we always ask to them for advice. We always run to them like, PM, please, um, what should we do? So, in this transition, it was very difficult for our family because the gears had to be switched completely, 100, 180 degrees, we had to just do completely different. Our crops were not planted yet to sell at the farmer's market, but we went ahead, it was like two days decision, we applied for farmer's market. It's like application we have to fill out, pay $350 for six months and just 
make a commitment to actually go every week to farmer's market. So it was a big thing, changing gears for our family because like I mentioned, nothing was planted. Um, irrigation was not set up yet. We did not have cool room, walk-in cool room to keep our vegetables cool. Nothing was really set. So this year was very difficult, but you know, it's amazing just looking back how God is faithful because the soil was not amended. We, that plot that you saw, um, we cannot go back, but uh, with a hoop house, we really did not even have time to make perfect fertility. We just took the rocks out and just put the eggplant. We just took the rocks and put tomatoes in there, you know, and God is so faithful. I mean, we had like abundant crop and really it cannot happen in the soil like what we have. God is always blessing when we follow his plan. Amen. So we, we went ahead and, and um, applied for that farmer's market and it was in Branson, Missouri. We had two markets we could choose from and that seemed to be the best. It's a small new market and so we decided that would be the best to grow with that market and, um, and it's a good thing because we didn't have that much to sell really. We had just enough probably to, to cover what we could sell each day and, and here's some garlic, Russian garlic, just to show you some of the things that we grew for that market. Um, garlic in this particular variety really holds up well in the winter. In fact, it's in the winter it's actually warm for this variety. It just keeps sprouting up and, and uh, stands pretty good. And so there's some hanging there that we have just kind of, we put it up front and decorate our, our stall there with. It's kind of interesting. It draws people's attention a little bit there. And some other vegetables we have, we usually have them full more, uh, fuller basket loads, but just took some pictures of those there. We like the color, people are attracted to that. And we also try to offer um, certain niche groups of people the best vegetables in that market. There's several people that we're competing against. We have those, um, some Asian couples that grow kind of Asian vegetables. And we got one farmer that grows just conventional you know, vegetables, cucumbers and those things. And so we kind of pick a little niche area and then also just the, the way that we grow and, and the family-oriented you know, atmosphere, our families growing, people are attracted to that. And then not only just standing behind the, the market, but getting out there in front of your table at the market and just engaging the, the customers and helping them out, they really appreciate that. All those kind of things combined help minister to others, I think, there at the same time and create an atmosphere. Lily, you want to talk about the bread too, some added value things? Because we did not have so much vegetables, we really wanted to keep our tables full. So I came up with a, don't flip yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I came up with this idea, bread, you know, people like bread. I know there is a big controversy about gluten and stuff like that, but people still eat bread. So I went to director of mar uh, market. She said, sure, we need more. You know, I think God gives us idea and then the door is open. Just, it was wide open. So I started making bread. We started with garlic and olive bread. That went well. We had to give out samples. People taste and they buy it. Um, we were allowed to do that. Some markets don't allow sampling. And then I'm like, well, you know, our group was very health oriented. The customers were very like all organic, all non-pesticide, stuff like that. So we're like, oh, maybe I should make like seven grain bread. So I tried that, you know, opportunities are just out there. So you can do whatever. I said, okay, I'll just try seven grain. It starts selling out just like that. I never had bread coming 
hardly ever bread was coming back home with us. Because once people taste what you have, they will come back again because they like the product. They will, I mean, we had people just buying two loaves because they put one in the freezer and one, you know, eat immediately. So then I'm like, okay, so this door was open. Maybe we should try something else. What about granola? Well, we tried granola. There is a picture of it. Um, the director of market gave me some ideas how to package it because uh, for market, you really have to pay close attention on the uh, display. It's huge seller. If it's clean, like Brother John said, if it's clean, if it look like we try, we never sell anything with holes, like kale with holes. We never do that. We lay, leave it for ourselves, make kale chips. But for market, we bring the best. So the same thing with granola, because it's something that people consume. It had to be clean, packaged well, sealed. I, I seal actually the top with the iron, hot iron, so it all looks very professional. And then we came up with idea, well, very the very last one, what we have, that's extremely popular. We do have berries, and berries, organic berries are hard to grow because I refuse to spray any berries, it's just me. Because the skin is so thin, it absorbs all the spray. So because we have children, I said, I'm not gonna spray them. So you cannot get really high dollar for your berries. So I went to the garden, because we tried, and really, people don't want to pay what you ask. Our market, we cannot ask prices what you have in Nashville, our small market. So I went to the garden as I was picking berries, I said, Jesus, give me please some ideas how we can market these berries. So on the same day, I had an idea to make a product out of berries. And the Lord gave idea to make the very berry bar. That's how I decided to call it. And I make like a granola bar, and it's a crust, and then we grind our own fresh, fresh, sometimes I freeze the berries before the market, and then we grind it with some sweetener and put the crust on top. It's like fresh granola bar. Unfortunately, we don't have a picture of it, but I do have it on the iPad if you want to see it. So I package it in the wrapping, and in the beginning it was slow, but once the people tasted it, they start coming back, and they, many, many business people start buying at seven for the whole week, and the next week they're coming back, they're buying seven again, and so on. Now we had pre-order, people started to pre-order those granola bars because people on the go, they want to just grab something and eat, and one man said, hey, is it gluten-free? I'm kind of allergic to gluten. I said, not really, but next week I'm going to make it for you. So sure enough, I researched and made gluten-free because it's much easier because people who are not allergic can eat gluten-free product. So from now on, it's always gluten-free product. So the Lord just blessed us with all these products. And now people actually calling us and texting us saying, when are you going to start selling your bread? When are you going to start vegetables? You know, they calling us and texting us. It's just amazing. Another thing I wanted to mention about... Um, yeah, we started even selling in the very beginning because we didn't have much vegetables. We sold our tomato plants, and lots of people bought it. We didn't ask high price, but um, I told my children, hey, that's a great income for you. So they started growing. Um, in the back, you can, it was another picture. If you can see behind granola, there's an aloe plant. Our middle child, he loves to propagate plants, and you know aloe, it just grows side shoots. 
Well, he divides and puts in pots and just sells it. He always sells out of aloe plants, and it's a quick way for children to make income for themselves. And one more thing about children. They said that it tremendously helped them with math because many, you know, we homeschool, so it's like we can sit with books and teach them, and then we actually took them to the market, and they had to do very quick math because when a customer gives you $10 and it's $4.32, what you're going to give back, you have to do it right away in math, mental math. So they said it tremendously helped them with math, with customer service, being polite, being considerate of others. So I would encourage strongly to involve children. Um, we did not mention how much we made. In the beginning, our first market was about $100. I know after your numbers, it's like, oh no. But you know, even $100, it was our money that we worked. But it's not so much money, it's the connection with people. They came and the look on their face when they buy it, when they want what you grow, it's all worth it. It's just that satisfaction that the Lord gives us to serve others, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So our highest income was 300 per market, but it's the first year this market's been going. So for us, you know, we don't really, we live a very like, low income. So for us it was okay, you know, but the experience and Looking back, I would say, I think Alan Siler last year, he said, just do it. Just do it. That there is no other way of learning. Because Brother John can tell everything about Nashville market. But it doesn't work necessarily in Branson. Because Branson people want completely different things. You know, they're not so much into heirlooms, we found out. They just want standard green beans. They just want standard things for most part. So the only way to find out is to do it. And then that's how we learn. Now this year, we definitely are going to grow what is good for our market, what people want. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is the last slide or not. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's just, that's the last slide there. It's one of the market pets or the garden pets we have there. So we, we broke some ground, some new ground in all different aspects, including physically. We, we farmed that whole new section there. It's kind of weedy right now, but um, I don't have a tractor and we don't own any major tools. We just work by hand. So everybody in the family helps out in little ways here and there. And along the way, it does produce trials. Um, we've been through a lot, but don't get, dis get discouraged and give up, although you will have that feeling every now and then. There will be down times, and um, I've been to situations where just, you know, we didn't have any water. We had to dig, we had to get water out of, the, uh, out of a lake a quarter mile away just to water our plants by hand for what? When, that, the, pump broke. when the pump broke, we had lightning strike the, the pump, and we couldn't afford a, a new pump, so... You know, I was beginning to have second thoughts, you know, wondering, Lord, you know, you brought us here. Um, why is this happening to, to us? And, um, you know, I, I got real discouraged. I remember, I know the spot where I prayed right there in the tomato patch because my, my tomatoes were kind of surviving there. And um, the only thing that I heard the Lord say that was that um, you're not praying for the right thing. Instead of praying for rain because of the drought, the drought was hitting at the same time as like 110 degrees and, and we didn't have water. And he said, you need to pray for more strength. Pray for my power 
to, to get you through this and depend on me, Fred. And so I said, Lord, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to do. And so I just kept on doing what I was doing, except I felt that I needed to pray more and more every day for that particular power. And, and the Lord bless, and he got us through that trial. And I'm not saying all of you are going to go through something like that, but you'll go through, you will go through a trial or two, maybe more. Just don't give up if you're, if you're new at this, or even if you're old at this. Maybe you're going to have something, but trust in Jesus through the whole process. And at the same time, you, you minister to people, like at the farmer's market. You know, they want to know your story. That's how you get connected. And what a, a lovely way to talk, tell them about the lovely Jesus that you serve there. And I've shaken a lot of hands of people that don't know that. And this is your opportunity. You know, some don't want anything about religion, but, you know, they, they know you, you, you're, you have something different than they do, and they keep coming back for more. So it's a ministry, it's a learning experience, and like I always said before, just keep going, keep going forward, don't give up, and the uh, Lord will truly bless. Um, Let me just, I'll just add one more thing. Um, there is a new series by David Obermiller. He's probably going to present it during the Sadagger, but he, I listened to it on Audiverse, and he said that what is the best way to minister to people? Because we have all this evangelistic series. We rent all these halls. We try to ask people to come for evangelistic series. But here, when we deliver vegetables to them, they come to us. Now they're asking us to speak in the church. You know, we actually gave gardening classes for the whole year, 12 of them. People actually come. They want to know. That's the best way to minister to people when they actually come into us and asking us questions. Yeah, we, we didn't know all the answers, no. but, <laughs> but we just told them what we do, did know. And, and that's a good way to learn, too, is to just step out and, and, um, and talk about what your experiences are, what you've learned, and kind of a garden forum. It's a good way to, to, to learn about all these things and, and um, become familiar with gardening in your, area, your local area. So there's different ways that you can get a group together. And so I, I think that about does it, John. Do you have any uh, questions or anything we can, might be able to answer them, how we started or how we got into some of the things that we did? Where did you get the granola bag? Where did I get, okay, the question was, where did we get the granola bag? Go ahead. Amazon, on Amazon, yeah. Yes, clear yeah. window. And actually, there is another one. But um, you can search the internet, just type, you know, I forgot exactly, but I will get back with you on that, exactly the site. There is another one that's a little bit less expensive. But again, another idea was to make kale chips. You know, we have excess of kale. I was thinking to do kale chips. We just never implemented that, but that's another idea. All right, there's a lady right here. Go ahead. That's a good question. Yeah, in Arkansas, the, okay, yeah, I should repeat the, the question. She had a question about um, is there an official, a government official that should come in to our kitchen and, and um, make sure we're, that we're certified is probably what you're saying. In Arkansas, there's a, a ruling that if it's a college cottage industry, not a college industry, a cottage, cottage. industry, industry um, there's no regulations on that if you're selling you for, know, those small kind of, for, for small farmers markets and, and that kind of thing. So that's what we qualify for. So 
it's a good way. They're trying to encourage people to begin businesses that way in hopes that later on, yeah. you know, you will, uh, when you get bigger, that you will do that. And like I said, these are just value-added products that kind of accentuate the vegetables, the main crops that you have. And, you know, they might branch off into something else. You know, if you have children or, or grandchildren, they'll take it and run with it, many of those ideas. There's one more. Go ahead. Two thousand sixteen in this last spring. year. Yeah. Yeah. We had to really hustle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we kinda of read lots of books. What um, was recommended at the Dagger for a couple of years. We just bought those books and start reading them and tomatoes is a winner all the time. People love tomatoes. You just cannot beat it. You know, lettuce, yes, lettuce mix, yes, but tomatoes is number one. So now we decided to, in the hoop house, just put cover crop right now. That's what we still have. When we come back, we'll till it in and put our early tomatoes right in there. Because that's the best if you can sell. Even like, if you don't want to do anything else, I would encourage everybody to have tomatoes, even in just in a bucket by the house, because that's easy to grow. Early, you can even put it by the window. It's always but that's what people want in the market. Yeah, we also tried um, to follow up with that. We, we sold a lot of peppers, bell peppers that were colored, like varieties of colors of the purple ones really sold. I mean, we just, people would say, I've never seen purple peppers before. And they would just snap them up. And we'd, we'd sell little ones and, and big ones. We'd, we'd bunch them together and in different ways, try to learn how do you sell these things. And, we found if we group sizes together, it worked better than just mixing them all in a big, you know, big old basket or something like that. So, and you know, things like that helped a little bit. There was another question here. I'm going to ask it for her. Okay. Okay. It's a good question. How much did we charge for granola? Loaf of bread is five dollars. Granola bag is five dollars. It's twelve ounces of granola. Two-pound loaf of bread. That was a two, no. about a two-pound. In the beginning, it? it wasn't, but then, okay. yeah, seven grain. It was a two-pound loaf. It was big loaf. Five dollars. Everything was five. Granola bar was dollar fifty, but this year it's going to be two at least because it's a lot. You know, it's all GMO-free and organic. The one, the lady. You bake those, the, the granola bars. Yeah. 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 It's not raw. Uh, well, yeah, that's you have a, to repeat. I'm sorry. Yeah, how did we acquire the land, and, and how how much what, what was it? How much land? Um, there's 40 acres. Um, but we garden only one. Three one three acre. acres are probably uh, three acres are probably gardenable if you want to call it that way. Just but you know we've learned some terracing techniques on a hill, and in my opinion, that no space is wasted, so even if you got six inches of soil and then the rest of it's flaky lime rock and we just pull back layers get it out of there and then just fill it with uh whatever we can get you know fill it with so um so we 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 have we right now farm just about an acre maybe total uh, on our property and then how did we acquire it it's a long story talk to me afterwards yeah, <laughs> it was the lord gave us that piece there, even though it's not a perfect piece, but I think he, he had a purpose for us to be there. 
You know, it's not farming land, it's forested land. And, but, um, you know, he led us to other, other areas. So I feel that that was the purpose that he wanted us there to, to meet people, to have good neighbors and, and talk with them and, and share, you know, the ministry. I think we're about done, right? Yeah. yeah. If you'd like to talk later, we'll be, we'll be over here in this booth here, Baker Creek, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. So they actually live right pretty close to Baker Creek, right? So if you're ever going to Baker Creek for any of their festivals or anything, look them up. And um, it, is that encouraging to hear from people starting out? You don't have to have lots of money. You don't have to have all the equipment. Start where you're at. I appreciate that. Just do it. Um, and, and the Lord will bless your efforts. Um, yeah, and you know, when we started going to farmer's markets, $100 was kind of our goal. If we could hit $100, we felt like we hadn't wasted our time. So, you know, um, you start somewhere and, and learn and the Lord blesses. But the other thing I just wanted to point out is the value added. That's big. You know, because you can take now, you know, right now we, we've got lots of carrots. Winter carrots are just amazing. I wish we could give you, we should have brought some actually. I, we didn't think about that. <coughs> but um, we've got about a quarter of our carrots have this carrot rust fly larva um, that is boring into them and keeping them from being first. So, you know, we're culling about a quarter of our carrots. So, um, besides the horses and goats, they get a lot of carrots, but we decided just recently, I think one of our apprentices actually said, hey, let's just start making, let's start juicing them. You know, it, it makes, the, the winter carrots are so sweet. It's almost too sweet for me to drink. It's just amazing. So, you know, we're, we're selling carrot juice to our customers, um, $10 a quart. And, you know, so something that was uh, a product that was going to waste, we're now actually earning more by selling carrot juice than we do by selling carrots. So, you know, that's, that's just the idea, you know, if, this, if it rains on your strawberry crop and they're just not good and sweet and what you want to be selling fresh, you know, you make jam and you can make more, you know, theoretically, if you're trying to just make lots of money, you, you want to process your products. <coughs> but, you know, it's not just about money and, of course, it's always better, more healthy if it's fresh. So we, we still sell most of our stuff fresh, but having a way to process um, your extra, you come back from market with stuff, you know, kale, and to turn it into kale chips or something is, is just really good, savvy business. <clears throat> okay, you're getting a couple handouts. I, I apologize. I didn't have a stapler, so one of them is three pages. The resource one is three pages, and then um, 
yeah, we may not have made quite enough. We, we made 25 copies of that, so no more than one per family. If you don't get one, we'll, we'll make a few more copies. But that three-page resource one, um, in my mind, that's, that's all the best resources that I know of. And I'm not, you know, there's a lot more out there when it comes to catalogs and stuff. There's a lot of good companies out there. Um, okay, apparently we were, we were quite short on the resource one, so we'll make more copies. We have a booth over in that corner there. So, yeah, we've got some strawberry jam. Um, but if you didn't get one, we'll make sure you get one because in my mind, that's the most important thing you can get from this. Um, there's some amazing internet resources, great books. I, I had to do a lot of updating because there's all kinds of new books coming out. One I put on there that's not even published yet, <clears throat> but I know it's going to be good. Um, what's it called? Do you see it on there? Andrew Mefford. Um, what is it? Greenhouse and Hoop House Growers Handbook. That's going to be really good. I've, I've read a lot of his stuff, but he takes the top eight money-making crops to grow in a hoop house and goes through a lot of detail on how to grow them. Um, and I think I list the eight crops, you know, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, eggplant, microgreens, baby lettuce, or baby greens. What else? What did I miss? Herbs. Okay. So that's going to be really good. Some great resources out there. Um, and again, I, th I think it goes without saying that these are almost exclusively not coming from a Christian viewpoint. So understand that we're recommending ideas and techniques, but we're not saying we agree with everything they may say in there. Um, you know, we need more Christian resources. Uh, there's just not enough Christians out there doing this. And that's a sad reality because it's an incredible opportunity. <clears throat> and then the other handout, I, I, I have more handouts that were supposed to be available for you to download. I'll have to try to figure out why that wasn't working for some of you. But... Um, a couple of people had been asking about specific varieties um, that we use. You know, there's so many different varieties out there. So that one has some specific varieties that, you know, we're always trialing every year different, you know, we'll grow two or three different kinds of green beans or whatever and just see. And we kind of, over time, you start settling in, you know, this is a really good one jade green beans in the fall unbelievable and and others have said i've read it in catalogs they they tend to go further into the fall we have incredible i mean literally 
they bear so heavy that we can't keep them picked. Um, I think, what did you count? 40 beans on one plant in one picking? I mean, it's just unbelievable. So that's just a, a, a simple example. There's a few that I saw on there that's not totally up to date. I don't remember when I updated that, but <coughs> winter boar kale is uh, it's it's a hybrid, um, but it is so good as far as performance that I would it's not on the list. Um, you know, it's not an organic hybrid, which, you know, if you're certified organic, that, that could be an issue, but it's just a real winner when it comes to kale, curly kale. And you, you, the reality is most people want curly kale. They're, they're stuck in a rut. You know, even though there's other varieties that we think taste better, but most people, when they think kale, they think curly kale. Um, Okay, so we've got time for some questions. You know, I realize there's a lot we didn't cover, and, and that's why we're giving you these resources. Um, but we've got 15 minutes, I think, right? Till we're officially ending. So we've got a question here and then here. Deidre. Okay, what's the standard red slicer? Honestly, we're, we're still fine-tuning that, but what, what was our winner last year was Big Dina. It's a greenhouse tomato. We, we grow our tomatoes in our hoop houses in the summer. We, we put shade cloth, 30% shade cloth on top because it gets pretty hot, um, and we've got roll-up sides. So we try to get as much circulation in there as possible, but it keeps the moisture off, you know, the rain and everything, so they go longer undercover. That's our experience. So we grow <coughs> our tomatoes, our peppers, greenhouse cucumbers, all undercover through the summer. Um, so... Yeah, you know, we, we weren't, it's, Big Dina was not a knockout as far as flavor, but one thing about growing tomatoes in a greenhouse, at least in our part of the country, leaf mold is a big problem. Um, so we look for varieties that are leaf mold resistant. That's really important for us, um, which cuts out a lot of tomatoes. So, uh, well, I'll tell you one that really has worked well for us, but it's not a standard red slicer, but bee orange. Bee orange is, is an orange, but it, it's a really nice size, and it, it's a very consistent yielder and a good flavor. So that's a real winner for us. That's an expensive, that's a dollar a seed kind of tomato, but it has done really well for us. Okay, question here. Okay, let's, let's answer one at a time for audio verse. So the question is, how do you keep from depleting the soil? Um, 
it's, it's important to keep that in mind. You know, obviously, the more intensive you're growing, the more <coughs> you're asking of the soil. And, um, you know, the short answer is you want to be always putting more in than you're taking out. Um, you know, doing soil tests, adding minerals, whatever you're missing. Um, you know, it, basically the more intensive you're growing, the more intensively you have to manage your soil. So I, that's a short answer. You know, there's two sessions going on right now on soil fertility. Um, yeah. And the second question. Okay, so the question is, you know, there's, there's every once in a while, there's a E. coli break, breakout or, and um, how do we keep from that? Well, you know, the, the reality is the government is getting more and more involved and, you know, eventually they're going to squeeze us out of business, um, I think, but hopefully that won't come till we're ready to head to the mountains anyway. But um, I think the Johnsons, I, I talked about Brad and Judy Johnson, they, I think they're going to focus more on some of, like GAP, maybe you've heard of GAP certification, good agricultural practices. That's kind of coming down the, the pipeline. For bigger farms, they have to, to do more compliant, they're, they're kind of letting the little guys off the hook for a while, but eventually, you know, we know we're, but, but we just try to be careful. I guess that's the point. And, and I, I don't think any of those outbreaks have ever been traced to a small farm. It's all industrialized farming and that's, you know, a whole different animal. So, but you know, you, you, you want to make sure whoever's harvesting washes their hands well and you know just basic hygiene we try to be careful with that um, but yeah I, I think the governments may be a little paranoid um, okay two questions here animal manures what do you do about animal manures <coughs> If you're certified organic, there's very strict standards about how many days before harvest you can apply manure and stuff. <clears throat> the best policy is just don't use fresh animal manure. You know, number one, I would encourage you, if you're going to use manure, make sure you know where it's coming from because there's the whole GMO thing and... Um, you know, the factory farms, I'm not sure you're going to want to use manure from them. So I have no problem with using manure, but ideally from animals that you know have been fed good stuff. Um, so I think that the simplest answer is just make sure it's composted first. It's going to be better for your garden and you'll avoid any potential issues. Yes, another question. Okay, the question is about irrigating from a pond. How do you keep the water source from becoming contaminated? Um, we 
we don't fence around our pond. Um, I don't know where the balance is with this, you know. I, I mean, a lot of people, I, I know big farms, I'm trying to remember where I was reading this, but, you know, if they find that a deer has wandered through the field, they have to track where that deer went and take out, you know, all the plants within a certain um, distance of where that deer traveled, you know, in case they use the bathroom in the field. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, in my mind, going over the top. You know, it's like we've had wild animals in our gardens for thousands of years. You know, what's happened all of a sudden? But it comes back to the point that these E. coli things, from what I've read, and I haven't done a lot of research on it, but it is almost all coming from manures from like CAFOs, you know, confined animal feedlots and stuff where they're being fed um, stuff that they weren't designed to eat, you know, cattle eating grain and so on. So I think we are creating a lot of the problems ourselves by the way we're, we're dealing with it. And um, so I don't want to poo-poo it all, but I guess I would just say at this point, we're just trying to um, be careful, but not paranoid. And I don't know that that's the best answer, but that's where we are. So, you know, we have deer that come down to our pond and, but of course we wash our produce after, you know, it's, it's irrigated on. <clears throat> okay, question here. Okay, that's a good question on hoop houses and snow. She was saying she hasn't gotten one because, you know, she's heard you got to be home all the time because it could collapse. And, and that, is a, um, that is a potential hazard depending on where you live in the country. You know, a hoop house will not handle three feet of snow. Um, but I can tell you a gothic shape, this kind of shape, um, handles snow loads much better than, than a Quonset shape. So that's one thing to keep in mind if you live in a part of the country where you get lots of snow. Um, obviously there are things you can do to beef it up, you know, putting trusses on every bow putting the bows closer together. Our bows are six foot apart where we live because we get very little snow. Um, up north, they're more standard, usually four feet apart. So you can do a lot to make a beefier structure. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you're going to have a huge snow, you're probably going to need to somehow scrape that snow off. Um, now that's one thing, that's one plus for a heated one. You know, what they'll do if they've got heat is just turn the heat up. And greenhouses aren't very well insulated, so that heat is gonna be melting the snow off the, the hoop house. So 
I, that answers maybe a little bit, but you know, I, I, I know other growers who, if they're going away, you know, you can just cut two by fours or something to the, to the right lengths to, to give some extra support to your bows. Um, Steve has the answer for us. Okay, there's a plug for Deerfield. Um, that's a local, local to us, and there's catalogs in the back, free catalogs, Deerfield Supplies. Um, Steve, was that, do you have trusses on every bow? Okay, five purlins and trusses on every other bow and the bows are how far apart? Four feet. So, so there's a good testimony of a beefy structure handling two feet of snow. That's good. We've never had two feet of snow. Right. Um, it, it, it definitely cools it down. It's not like it's going to make it really cool in there, but you know, it's cutting out the direct sunlight. So it definitely helps. Yeah, you know, tomatoes, and of course, there's different varieties have different heat thresholds, but they will not pollinate and set fruit if it gets too warm so you know and and i i think for most tomatoes that's like 90 degrees or so so you know in f yeah we don't have time to get into that but we've kind of modified our tomato season because of that in the middle of the summer they kind of just slow down so we're actually now doing an early crop and then a later crop in the hoop house and not trying to keep them going all summer long. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope that answered the question. Okay, so the question is about um, somebody who has a full-time job and is trying to get into market gardening part-time. What would you focus on? Um, you know, I, I will say it's a challenge to be a part-time market gardener because, you know, I, as I think you got the idea on the, the farmer's market presentation and stuff, it's really important to have a full stand. You know, the more product you have, the more you're gonna sell, you stack it high. So if you're only growing two or three crops, you know, you come to farmer's market. Now, you know, tomatoes are a good crop, um, especially if you have them early or late, but you know, if you have a big pile of tomatoes in July and August, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sell them all. 
because everybody else has them too. <coughs> so I think I would say, um, in my opinion, berries are a great thing for somebody who's not full-time because berries are very easy to sell. And, you know, especially blueberries are pretty low maintenance. You know, once you get them established, um, they kind of take care of themselves to a, to a large degree. And then it's just a matter of harvesting. Um, you know, everybody or almost everybody loves berries. A lot of vegetables, you know, there's a lot of pickiness on. But... Um, that's kind of just a quick answer. Um, you know, I've often said if I were doing it again, I think I might do berries in the summer and greens and produce in the winter. So I think that's a pretty good combination. Um, but fortunately, I'm not starting over. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.